0: Oh, good morning. good morning. Good morning. Good. To those of you who are visiting with us today, I'm Pastor Cal I'm not, well, I'm the interim pastor. We're in between pastors, and so uh, you keep coming. I won't be the face you'll be seeing up here. Um, so if you don't like what I say today, um, all right. All right. <laughs> If you don't like the shirt I'm wearing, tough. <laughs> yeah, I believe Christians should have fun. You know, I, I've known a few Christians that look like they were baptized in a dill pickle barrel. You know? And, you know, I, I believe God has given us all things to enjoy. <coughs> yeah, I'm not enjoying that. Uh, this morning we're going to begin a new series on understanding the church. We're going to look at what the church is supposed to be, and we're going to look at what the church is supposed to do. You see, if we don't get those two right, then we'll never be the church that God wants us to be. So today we begin with the topic: whose church is is it? Whose church is it? Now, let's just say, for instance, that I decide that Crossway Church is my church. Okay? And, and for the sense of being crazy this morning, let's say you all agree with me. This is the church of Bedeutsch. Because it's my church, I get to decide what the church is and what the church is to do. Now, let's just say off the cuff let's just say I enjoyed eating. Okay? And I decided that the purpose of my church is to promote the eating of fine food. That's the purpose of my church. We are going to go out to restaurants together. We are going to fellowship around sharing recipes. We are going to, to listen to sermons on the best way to grill pork butts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our key verse for our church would come from Romans chapter 4, verse 20. All food is fit to eat. <sighs> That's the church of Kalbadeutsch. But let's say there's a problem. You see Fred over here. Let's just say he thinks it's his church. Okay? And it should be and do what Fred believes it should be and do. And Fred has a different purpose for his church. Let's say Fred likes cars. All right? Old cars, new cars, stock cars, hot rods, doesn't matter. And he feels the church should be and do all things related to cars. The church should promote car rallies. We should promote legislation to reduce the price of gas. Well, that's not a bad one. Uh, when we gather to worship, we should sing songs by the Beach Boys, like, She's Real Fine, My 409. Yeah. And Fred believes the key verse for the church should come from Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. It says, and God drove man out of the Garden of Eden. (laughs) That's Fred's church. But wait, we have another problem. Carly. Okay, Carly, let's say she likes to play tennis. And Carly thinks the church should give free tennis lessons to the children of Port Orchard. Not only that, but the church exists to lobby for more tennis courts. When we gather together, we should correct one another's backhand swing. <clears throat> In church, we should study the biographies of great tennis players like John McEnroe, Andre Agassi, Stephanie Graff, and Chris Evert. For Carly, the key verse of the Bible for our church is found in Genesis 41, 46, says, and Jacob was 30 years old when he served in Pharaoh's cart." But we have another problem. Diane, she's not here today, so I get to pick on her. Diane believes that this is her church and should be and do what she wants. And what does Diane want? Well, Diane loves babies. She loves holding them. She loves snuggling with them. She loves feeding them. She loves burping them. She loves everything baby. And she wants to change the the worship center into a nursery. And she wants to hang mobiles from the ceiling so we can all stare at them during the sermon. And every sermon should be about Jesus holding the little children. For Diane, the key verse in the Bible for our church is 1 Corinthians 15, 51. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. (laughs) Hmm. Now, I have drawn a ludicrous picture for you this morning, right? But you know what? I pastored for over 40 years And I can tell you, I met a lot of Christians who felt the church was theirs. Some were pastors. Some were deacons. Some just attended a few times a year, but it was their church. To find out what the church is to do, we first have to find out what is the purpose of the church. And to find out the purpose, the first thing we must do is decide on whose church is it. Let's see if the Bible gives us any hints, shall we, on whose church is it? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 1-2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified by Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Oh, there's a little bit of a hint in there. Okay, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.32. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. 1 Corinthians 11.16. But if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this, and neither do God's other churches. 1 Corinthians 11.22, What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. 1 Corinthians 15.9, For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after after the way I persecuted God's church. 2 Corinthians 1.1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth and to all his holy people throughout Greece. Remember from the last couple sermons, we talked about the spiritual condition of the church at Corinth. Remember that they're the ones with fist fights in the foyers. They're the ones taking each other to court. They're the ones who are getting drunk at communion. Is it any wonder that they needed to be reminded of whose church it was? Every one of those passages I read came from either 1st or 2nd Corinthians. Have you figured out whose church it is yet? Well, some of you didn't nod yes. Okay, let's continue. Galatians 1.13. You know what it was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how violently I persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. 1 Thessalonians 2.14. And then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. In this way, you imitated the believer in God's churches in Judea. Because of their belief in Christ Jesus suffered from their own people, the Jews. Whose church is it? God. Let's say it together. Whose church is it? God's church. Okay. Do you believe that? Wholeheartedly? Oh, boy, are you in trouble. <laughs> you have committed to something. Okay. When we say this is God's church then we have to go by his rules. He gets to determine the purpose of this church. He gets to determine what this church is to be. And he gets to determine what this church is to do. We cannot say, oh, well, I want to do this, or I want to do that, or I like this, or I like that. Now, when it comes to methodology, that changes according to culture. But the foundation of what the church is and what it is supposed to be doing comes from God's word and we have no choice in the matter. We must submit to the authority of God. So we've settled it once and forever. This is not my church. This is not your church. This is God's church. Now... Having come to that conclusion, we might wonder: Well, what is the purpose of the church then? What is God's purpose? Well, to understand that, we we need to ask ourselves some questions. We need to ask our questions like this: Why does the church exist? Okay, why does the church exist? What, what is it that, that we're supposed to be as a church? Remember, being always comes before doing. God wants us to be the ch- kind of church He wants us to be before we can go out and do. So then, what, 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 are we, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do it? What are my responsibilities in God's church? Every one of us has a responsibility. Every one. There's no, no shirking. There's no saying, oh, well, I'm, you know, I, I'm I, I just go there, I don't have any responsibility. No, if we say that God's purpose is the purpose for the church, then every one of us has a responsibility. What should the church be giving me? Now that sounds a little selfish, doesn't it? But you know what? God established his church in order for believers to benefit. does a well-balanced church look like? I've loved studying church history, both ancient church history and, and more current. And like I say, I pastored for 40 years. And um, over those 40 years, I've seen a lot of things come and go. Um, for instance, should we start a bus ministry? bus-in children for Sunday school. Jack Hybels did that. Over 400 buses, 20,000 riders. And I remember at one time that was proclaimed, that is the way you build a church, with a church bus ministry. Should we try to emulate Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in Southern California? He's got a great outreach program. He's got a dynamic discipleship program. Should, should we try to do that? Or how about following the model of Joel Olstein from Lakewood Church in Houston? They, they meet a huge crowd in a former sports arena down there. Is that, is that where we're supposed to be going? Or maybe Willow Creek Church in Chicago? Or does God have something just special for us? that he wants us to be doing. Well, to get started, we need to ask ourselves, what is the church? And before we can answer the question, what is it, we have to answer the question, what isn't it? So what isn't the church? Well, first of all, the church is not a building. The church may meet in a building or the church may meet in a schoolhouse. It doesn't matter where we meet, we can meet in a bingo hall. You know, it doesn't really matter because the church is not a building. Also, the church is not an organization. Organizations have officers and they have rules and they have activities. Uh, when we moved into our house, actually before we moved into their house, I was made the secretary of our HOA. Yeah, f- that's fun. Uh, you know, and, and, we, and there's rules. And, and we spend some of our meeting talking about how do we enforce the rules? One of the big ones right now is people are not stopping at stop signs in the HOA or in the, in the, the village. So, you know. Can we ticket them? It's got rules and it's got officers. It's an organization. The church is not just an organization. It has organization, but it is not just an organization. And thirdly, it is not a corporation. It's not just a charity. You give tax-deductible gifts to it because it's a CTP. C-3PO whatever organization, you know, never did get them letters and numbers right. It's not any of those things. But yet when people think of church, that's what they think of. They think of a building, they think of an organization, and they think of a corporation. And people will say today, you know, I'm a spiritual person, but I don't like organizations. I don't like the... The ritual or I don't like the, uh, the church. I don't go to church. And the reason they say that is they think either that the church is either an organization or they think it's a corporation or they think it's a building and they don't understand what church really is. Well, a lot of church folks don't know what church is either. So we need to talk about the church. First of all, The word in the Bible that we, Greek in the Greek, that we use for the word church is the word ekklesia, okay? Are you impressed with my Greek knowledge? Uh, Ekklesia. And ekklesia simply means an assembly. And ekklesia comes from two Greek words, actually, that are kind of just smashed together. And the two Greek words are call and out. So it means a group of people who are called out for some reason to do something, okay? It can be any group called out to do anything. For instance, over in Acts chapter 7, verses 38 and 39, it says, This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. Like unto me, ye shall hear him. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received a lively oracle to give to us. Now it's talking about Moses here. It's talking about the children of Israel. It says that that the children of Israel, after they left Egypt, they were a church in the wilderness. Now don't confuse that with the church today. What that word simply means is they were a called-out group. They were called out of Egypt. They were on the way to the promised land. So there's an idea of, of called out. In Acts chapter 19, verse 32, it says the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. What we have here is a riot in Ephesus, okay, a mob. But the same Greek word, ekklesia, is used. Here it's translated assembly. Now, we wouldn't say, oh, the church was a, was this mob. No, in fact, they were, they were against uh, Paul. So the thing we learn about the word ekklesia is it's what we call in the Greek a non-technical word. Non-technical means you have to look at the context in order to determine what it's talking about. Every time it appears, it isn't talking about what we would call the church today. It could be a mob. It could be the group following Moses out of Egypt. Now, why is that important to know? Well, it's important to know that because when we see the word church in the Bible, we should not automatically assume that it's talking about us. It could be talking about another called-out group. For instance, Israel was a called-out group to bring in the Messiah and the kingdom. What Paul calls the church is something very different. What Paul calls the church is the church made up of Jews and Gentiles made possible because the Jews rejected their Messiah. Now, I want you to look at this chart up here. See how we did. All right. I did a a little research, the number of times the word ecclesia appears in the New Testament. Now remember, the New Testament is written in Greek, so it's the only time, it's not gonna be in the Old Testament, it's just gonna be in the New Testament because the Old Testament was written in in Hebrew and Aramaic. So I, I, I looked at that and I looked at that and I thought, you know, there's some interesting things there. Number one, ecclesia is only used twice in the Gospels, and both of those are found in Matthew. It's used 22 times in the Book of Acts, five in Romans, and then you go down and you look and say, oh, all the rest of those except for the Book of Revelation uh, are, are all epistles. In the Book of Revelation, of course, it's the first three chapters where it talks about the different churches there. So as we study the church, We're going to be spending a lot of time in the epistles here because that's where the bulk of the information is found. There's no church in the Old Testament. There's no church in the four Gospels. In fact, the two times that it appears in the book of Matthew, it's Jesus talking in the future, saying, I will build my church. So we don't see the church in the Gospels. In the Old Testament, most of the time it appears in the book of Acts, it's after chapter 8. And then it's used quite a bit in Paul's conversations. Now why am I saying that to you? We have something very special today. We have something that the Old Testament saints never had. We have some blessings because we are the church that nobody else at any other time could could claim those promises because they didn't have the church. And I say that because when we give thanks for our blessings, we should thank God for the church because it is a special blessing given to us today. Anybody ever asked you the question, if you could live in any other time period other than now, when would you want to live? It's an interesting question, because if you, if you know history, um, you know that, you know, we've got it good. We have it really good today. We look around and we go, oh my, things are falling apart. But we really have it good Today, I would not have wanted to live even 100 years ago. I'd be dead by now. Uh, Really, I'm serious, I'd be dead. Kidney stones, they would have done me in, you know. We live in the most blessed time in history, and the church is one of the primary reasons why. We should not take the church for granted. I know we come to worship together on Sunday. And yes, it's okay to go on vacation. And yes, it's okay to travel and all of that. But we tend to kind of take things for granted that happen all the time. The church is something that is so special. And next week, We're going to look at what the church is to be. And we're going to get it straight from the mouth of the one who created it. The one whose church it is. We're going to get it from God himself. We're not going to get it from a book telling us how we're supposed to do church. We're going to get it from the book that God gave us to tell us what the church is to be. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather together, we are an assembly. We are an ecclesia. And Father, today on Sunday all over the world, there are, there are many ecclesias out there. There are, there are many groups called out. And, and yet your word tells us that we're all one church. So it doesn't matter where we assemble as believers. When we assemble, we are the church. Thank you for the church, Lord. Lord, Crossway Church has gone through some difficult times, being bumped around place to place, time to time, in need of a new pastor. But Father, because it is your church you are going to take care of it. You are going to provide for it. And Father, if we ever get to the point where we think this is our church, well, Father, we're in trouble. But thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the series we're in. And Father, as we get deeper into the subject of the church, Father, help us to love you more, appreciate you more, so we can worship you more because of this wonderful gift you have given to us, the church. For I pray in Christ's name, amen.